Boom! What's up everyone? Welcome to Simulation. I'm your host Alan Sakyan. Very excited to be talking about gender relations, talking about neo-traditionalism. We have Katie Schuler joining us on the show. Hello. Hello. Thank you for having me. Thank you for coming on. Really appreciate it. Very excited. There's a lot to unpack about this subject and really pumped. There's so much nuance that we're going to get into. Mm. For those that don't know Katie's background, Katie's links are below. She's a neo-sybil, Sybil. Neo-Sybil. Neo-Sybil, which <laughs> is an oracle, mm. a new oracle. Um, she's a nihilist, an anti-theist, rationalist, neo-traditionalist, monogamy advocate, and singularity. Yes. <laughs> which is a, an advocate of the singularity. Yes, yes. Yeah, Katie's very excited for AI to just, you know, take over. Oh, it. yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm ready for the robots to take over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. We're going to talk about that. I'm, I'm looking, looking forward to that. Um, okay, tell us this big history perspective here. We are as stewards of Earth. What's your current take on the state of humanity? Um, I think that we're suffering largely from an Oedipal complex, or at least I think most people are. Oedipal? Uh-huh. Oh. Oedipal, Oedipal complex? Oedipal? Like, like Oedip no, Oedipal. Uh, like Oedipus? Oedipus. 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 Yes. Teach us what Oedipus. An Oedip oh, okay, Oedipal so, complex. well, like, the, for those who don't know, the story of Oedipus is, you know, Basically, or at least it's used as a metaphor uh, in, in psychological terms, uh, the, f the fear of your, your own progeny. Um, so being afraid that, like, you know, your son will kill you and marry your wife, um, <laughs> which is, is obviously very horrific. But um, I think that a lot of people suffer that idea when it comes to technology, innovation, automation, and artificial intelligence. I believe that artificial intelligence is our progeny. I think that we're moving towards a direction where we're going to ascend biological existence. And I think that when people reject this and, and a lot of the fear rhetoric around AI and so on is really just a, an issue of an Oedipal complex wherein um, people are afraid that they're going to be made um, irrelevant or that they're not going to be able to, you know, make it through that threshold because, you know, as we go on to new frontiers and evolution, of course, there's always the weeds that get picked out. There are people that aren't able to evolve and adapt. And that's what a lot of that is, in my opinion. Well, yeah, so it's the, this is our child. Is the artificial intelligence, and in that we have to, we have to do some work in embedding it. We don't we barely know our own ethical codes mm -hmm. that are moral codes that are really strong that we want to we need to embed into the AI into the children so that we don't end up bopped or are you like tell us about that process? Like, what's the good code to pass down? How do we make sure we don't get bopped? Is it okay if we get bopped? Well, I I think that we just need to accept that that some people aren't going to make it and, and that's, that's, that's necessary for evolution. It's necessary for, you know, there to be ones that do adapt and ones that don't. And if there isn't that challenge and there isn't that, that, um, that hurdle to climb, then we don't make any progress and that's when we die out. That's, that's when you go extinct. And, you know, we need to adapt for that. In fact, that's my explanation for, like, the Fermi's Paradox, uh, is that um, we haven't found alien species out there because I think that once we get past a certain point um, as intelligent life, that we ascend our biological forms. Yeah. And so, basically, anything else that's out there isn't paying any attention to us because, you know, we're still, it, we're still monkeys. Yeah. Like, you know, why would they? We're still monkeys that are killing each other and making each other miserable all the time. And until we pass that threshold, I don't think that we're going to find the other life that is out there if one yeah. is so inclined to call that life. Yeah, it's like the zoo hypothesis that you gotta like do, you gotta make AI, you have to yeah, digitize it's kind yourself of, before you can break out of the cage and others will pay attention. Yeah, it's, it's a little bit of a collaboration of a couple of different thoughts, but yes. Interesting. So then, the you said it's necessary to have a uh, ones that don't adapt, and that them for to to die off. Yes. Yes. Uh, I mean, yeah. if if everything is so easy, um, where everyone makes it through that threshold, then it's just it's not evolution. It's not progress. It's not you know if there isn't that challenge and that weeding of the garden, that selecting out of inferiority then we can't ascend, we can't progress, we can't move forward. Yes. Okay, and we go extinct. So 
So selecting out of inferiority. Now, okay, um, th and that's kind of what we've been doing is we've been progressing away from inferiority, more mm -hmm. of the maybe like primal, you know, to less of the primal, more of some sort of an ethical or moral, um, let's say, uh, civilization. And uh, along the way, though, one could also potentially argue that some of what is viewed as maybe inferior is um, the... The, the seed being rotten in some way because mm -hmm. maybe it hasn't had the right nutrients or the right uh, the right protocols that have enabled that seed to flourish and then the seed may not be inferior. Mm -hmm. So then we could maybe have a... a, a well, a, it, I mean, inferiority is, isn't necessarily something that's instilled. It's like um, inferiority can be something that is just an inferiority of, of means. So, it, you know... If, if you're not able to acquire yes, certain yes. opportunities, if you're not able to adapt, and if you're not um, able to find, yeah, if you're not able to find the, the means to do so, then that is your inferiority. Okay, I hear you on the means, but then can't genetic engineering or brain-computer interfaces give people the means to be a part of the... Well, certainly, but then the inferiority comes down to people who are uh, naturalist. So oh, then, sure. those are the people that are going to get weeded out. Okay, so, they, like, we can always change the, the circumstances and in, in how we go about doing things and trying to advance ourselves, but that's just going to change how we select. We're not going to leave any room to breathe for naturalists. Like, naturalists can't just go live in the Amazon if they want to. They can try. <laughs> if they'd like to. I mean, I just don't think that you're like you're not going to be able to pass that hurdle. You're not going to be able to ascend. As I said, I think that the new frontier, as far as um, evolution, is for us to, you know, ascend biology. And you're not going to do that if you're, you know, getting killed in the rainforest. So, so if even if even if the, it's visible, this choice of ascension through uh, through the singularity with artificial intelligence, and then the naturalist path of I just want to be in my biology, mm -hmm. that. Hopefully, we can maybe leave some space for that. That that people. Well, certainly the space exists. I just don't think that they'll succeed in that ascension, plainly. Okay, so you and, don't. You know, you maybe don't they'll become divergent. Maybe they'll become something else. Okay, so you don't ascend as much. Okay, sure, sure. Okay. So, so it can be a I, I think that is our our own human um, ascension is is to um, you know. Um, you know, ascend our biological forms, but hey, you know, maybe we might become a, a divergent species in, in that, you know, there might be some other biological existence for humans and, you know, one that's, you know, one that's biological and one that's not. Yeah, yeah. Okay, now let's go into, you know, who, who you are, because, you know, you're, you got, this was, a, this was a great sort of first uh, state, synthesis on humanity. Pardon so, me and my tangents. Yeah, it's so good, though. So, mm -hmm. so now, you know, you're born here in Silicon Valley. Yes. And you grew up in a very conservative family, but in a very liberal, in a religious family as well. Oh, yes. Um, but in a very liberal area. Mm -hmm. which I think is very interesting because I kind of did a conservative South Dakota to a liberal Minnesota to an even more liberal Silicon Valley. So I mm -hmm. had a very moderate as well. I turned moderate in the sense of or independent or free thinking mm -hmm. because you got to see both far, both ends. And oh, then, yeah. Yeah. So tell us about this. Well, it was, it was nice because, um, you know, had I grown up here but not had that upbringing then I would probably hold a lot of the values that are indicative of this area but not really have those values in the sense to where um, be able to hold them without them being challenged as you know a lot of people out here have I'm sure you've met them yeah, monoculture, um, <laughs> yeah, in many ways, yeah. and you know you're are you really right if you don't understand how you came to that conclusion if you don't if you're not able to defend or explain that point you're not doesn't you know even if you happen mm -hmm. to arrive to the correct conclusion so uh, fortunately i've I, you know had very polar exposures um which have allowed me to um basically spend a lot of my life um challenging everything i think and everything i feel and you know got me into debate and yeah. Um, self-educating my, you know, self and as far as trying to constantly change my own opinion, change my views and have those views be contested. 
Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. So debate was a crucial part of the upbringing as well? Uh, I mean, that wasn't a part of my upbringing, but it was definitely um, something that I was drawn to yes. while I was in school. Yes. Um, it's huge. Mm -hmm. I oh, it's yeah. I, I, and, and I lost a lot of friends. <laughs> I lost a lot of friends that way. Um, I, I would, I'd repeatedly get into situations where, um, you know, there would be um, a, a prompt that was given to the class as far as two different opinions to, uh, like, to contest, and the teacher would give like a dumb prompt where, um, like, it really felt like the the answer morally was very obvious. Obvious, yeah. And yeah. so obviously everybody would, you know, pick that side, the you know, the easy answer that they personally held. And me, I've always liked to be the devil's advocate yeah. and would be debating entire, against my entire class. And this happened several times and I lost many friends. And because of that, all of my friends while I was in grade school were either older than me or younger than me, generally speaking. And that um, if you were in the same class as me, you did not want to be my friend. <laughs> you, you, you also said some other interesting things on that route where you said that you um, you, 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 you should know how you got to the way that you think. Yes. So what were the stimuli that influenced uh, you, and not specifically you, but a human? How, mm -hmm. did, how did they get to the belief that they hold today? What stimuli influenced that belief? So if you can then go back and re, re, um, explain how you got to that, then that, makes, that gives you a deeper grounding in what you currently think. And then also you mentioned challenging Kind of like authority a little bit in like a, in a way of of uh, of if someone's saying you know believe something it's like why like why mm -hmm. should I believe that way? Oh certainly. Um, I'm sorry. I, I'm I'm not really sure if there was a question in you, there. Direct you question. two, you you <clears throat> those two things that you mentioned earlier, I just thought were really oh yeah were well, really yeah were really crucial things. Certainly. Um, so then, how did you pick up your interest in federalism versus you know popular sovereignty? How did you? How did that come into your life? Um, well, I, I think that there's a lot of basically junk in our government, a lot of policies and, and whatnot where you look at it and it clearly doesn't work. And you're like, okay, well, like it, it had to have worked at some time. It had to have made sense at a certain point. So um, I have the habit of looking at, you know, uh, a certain policy or a, a certain party or, you know, institution within our government and then go on to the tangent like what was its you know what is it the successor of and, and where did that come from because it all kind of branches out so it's important to know how things came about to be if you're going to oppose something or support something yes mm -hmm. yes okay and then th th so now there's a this is very important you get to look at the code at which you live in and mm -hmm. then try and find what you want to update and maybe get rid of and, and so well, certainly because yeah. there, there could be parts of like um, there can be parts of something that maybe are still functional and still working but maybe um, we diverged at a certain point because something was functional at the, t at the time and doesn't work anymore or we diverged in a way that um, that you know didn't work at all but so much of it still does work and so I think we really need to, to re-examine a lot of the different you know, policies that have been implemented and where about they came so that we can not only correct the errors but make a point to not undo a lot of the good because we do have an excellent country here and we have an excellent culture here. And I think trying to dismantle the whole thing mm -hmm. is, is absurd. And I think trying to keep it rigid or just move it forward is yeah. also absurd. I think yeah. that we just need to be a little bit more strategic and, and thoughtful about how we go about that. Okay, so with a, you know, a federalist perspective of having a, 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 a country government, a federal government, and state governments, and then potentially having elected representatives representing you mm -hmm. um, versus being able to maybe have a general population that can be educated enough to participate in the country's updates. Yeah, well, I, I, I think the, the important thing to understand about um, when, when we try to be federalist um, and kind of let the, the U.S. government take over everything is that we need to understand that we're a very large country and we have a lot of different cultures and things that make sense for some people don't make sense for everyone. And it's okay for people 
to um, you know, be isolated from other parts of the United States, and it doesn't necessarily make them regressive. And I think that jumping to that conclusion is, is, is really, uh, it's unfortunately ignorant in an ironic way. Um, letting the poly, the cultures kind of play at, mm -hmm. at but, but like giving some freedom of speech, right, is a, one that works for everyone. Mm, but then there sure. are certain codes that don't work for everyone. Like give us some examples of what works for some people and maybe what wouldn't work for other people. Oh, let's see. Maybe there hypothetically would be like some states where polyamory should be more accepted and um, some states where polyamory you know should not necessarily be legal while i tend to lean towards libertarianism mm -hmm. and like to give people as much freedom to do as they please and so on and so forth um i, I could understand how there might be some states where relative to the male to female ratio it would be sensible to be permissive in some ways and uh, relative to like cultural and economic structures in another state, it would make sense to criminalize it to say mm. um, defend the 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 right that every man has to have like his own partner, and that's that's like one of the arguments for monogamy is mm. just that um, society functions better and there's less aggression in males and males are more productive and, and can build on society a lot more and do build in society a lot more when they have the prospect of I, you know, I get to be a good man, I get to find a woman because I am a good man because I will be a good man for that woman. Yes, mm -hmm. and we were touching on this in the last conversation as well. So, mm -hmm. so there's a, a, in some ways, a, a crisis of meaning happening in, in very developed places where we're getting extremely attached to video games or drugs or whatever it may be that is giving us quick the dopamine hits versus maybe planning out long term mm -hmm. some sort of a divine purpose of our life. And that being bridged together with a, uh, another, with a female, with a partner, right? Mm -hmm. So, and then having a family and having kids and working for them to have uh, meaningful lives and fulfilling lives, that those things are all extremely interconnected. Mm -hmm. And so, your, your, you know, your understanding of the, that gender relation is that is that those are those are that those are crucial for the family, and that. Mm -hmm. Then, in your, wherever you live in your pockets, you can kind of have a, uh, depending on the belief systems of those areas, can, they, can, they can write their own. Well, this is one of the, the, the areas where I, I oppose, um, I oppose the, the feminist rhetoric, because a lot of the feminist rhetoric is that um, men and women need to have equal power, or at least um, men can't have greater power than women in any department and we're always constantly trying to create equity between the sexes as far as where you know men are succeeding women and we don't do the same for women succeeding men yeah um so we deal with a situation where there's um there's you know women who are you know climbing the the caste ladder and so on and so forth as far as um you know out earning men and doing well in school and while I'm very happy for people to, to be ambitious and to you know, seek out those ambitions, I don't think it's appropriate for us to be pushing women to be moving in this direction, being that women, uh, the way that gynohypergamy works, hypergamy, the way that women are hypergamous works, is that they, you know, they want a man that can protect them and defend them, and we can't just rip that out of our coding, at least we can't presently. So the the pool that women are willing to date gets smaller and smaller and smaller then as women try to get, you know, parity with men in these departments. Is that, you know, as you climb up, and it's great for you to be successful, but that's also going to shrink the pool of men in which you probably find, a feeling, uh, find appealing unless you're willing to, you know, fight against that, that instinct of hypergamy and, you know, be be a female CEO who's dating a pizza delivery guy. So, so, so we can we can see this as as uh, as the as a female climbs up a uh, a hierarchy and mm -hmm. is 
is then realizing that the pool of appealing uh, candidates the, yeah, the, for the, them yeah. has shrunk in size mm -hmm. because they want they want to also date up yeah. and and then th them being so high up makes it more difficult for them to find oh and then, certainly and especially then since it doesn't increase their value it doesn't increase the amount of men that find them appealing it like at best it gives them greater access to maybe hypothetically the men that they want you know, if women goes to university, she gets to, you know, meet university men. You know, if a woman's working within a certain office space, she gets to meet, the, you know, the men within that field, which, you know, that can be its own advantage in, in certain ways. But as a woman climbs up, like, men aren't hypergamous when it comes to caste. So as you go up and the pool of men that men you find desirable, they're not? Men are not hypergamous relative to caste. Yeah. Men are hypergamous in a biological respect. They want to seek out women who have better genes, women who have a larger reproductive window, um, so on and so forth. Um, so that's like aiming for younger than for the longer yes, reproductive yes. window. Or just women who um, display more neoteny as to indicate that she has a broader window than sure. say other women. Because okay, so it's less so about cash. Age isn't sadly age isn't necessarily uh, chronological when it comes. If we're going to be honest about our biology, is that some people age faster than others uh, relative to their genetic makeup and relative to their life choices. So it's you know not exclusively chronological. It's it's you know aging as far as you know whether or not a woman is neoteness. So a man you know will want a woman with you know good genes, a, a larger reproductive window. But um, as a woman climbs that, you know, that ladder as far as education and career and so on, and the pool of men that she's willing to date gets smaller and smaller, her value doesn't go up and she's still getting older. Interesting. There, there seems to also be maybe part of it is, has something to do with the way that we find cultural, culturally how we find people um, interesting. Like sapiosexuals are focused on intelligence mm -hmm. being the thing that goes past everything else and mm -hmm. I think that I think that's a very interesting way to think about it too is that when when we're looking at things in a very um, old school like biological system which has been around for a very long time obviously and is very uh, like you were like you've been explaining it's just extremely um, at play in our in our world mm -hmm. at the same time there are potentially new cultural dynamics that could come in at play that kind of throw things um, but you're right, there's a lot of people that are not getting the partners that they potentially want mm -hmm. with the ways that things are, are changing. And I think that's an important conversation uh, to totally to unpack and, and have. What would you propose as, as solutions to what? Well, I think that we need to stop telling women that, you know, that they need to necessarily climb those ladders. I think certainly that, that freedom, that liberty and room for women to do so you know, should be available and, you know, we should be supportive of those women. We should cheer them on. We should be proud of them. Um, but we also should be honest with ourselves and saying like, okay, well, that probably means that you're going to have less opportunities in this department. And as long as we're honest about things and honest about what the consequences of what that will be, then women can make more educated decisions as far as what what are my actual ambitions what are my goals because if a woman is you know prioritizing you know having a family and so on and so forth maybe she doesn't want to go that direction or maybe if she's you know attracted to you know a certain type of man or a certain cast of man then she needs to focus on that goal mm -hmm. um so it's it's really just being honest about what the consequences of those individualistic choices are for women and allowing women the freedom to make those decisions for themselves, but not doing so in a dishonest way. Yes, yes. So, so this know thyself. Mm -hmm. Okay, so if you do want to pursue memetics, mm -hmm. then you may uh, decrease your potential mating pool along the way. Yeah, yeah. well, yeah, you're just, yeah, you're decreasing the the pool size, yes. If you're going to climb up the caste system, um, then you're going to... You're going to, yeah. The, size. The, the, the men that you find attractive will be lesser and lesser and lesser because fewer men will actually be beneficial. Relationships are hard. They're challenging. But men so, can also climb up simultaneously, providing that maybe that more... So if they're both kind of climbing up, if both are pursuing memetics or careers, mm -hmm. um, 
then there may potentially be also a slow, potentially at the same pace that men are going up, could potentially be at the same pace that women are also climbing up the career gas? Well, the, uh, so long as uh, a woman and a man is like, you know, equal, it's, it's not, it doesn't really work as far as her hypergamy and her being attracted to him. So I'm not necessarily saying that she becomes less desirable to the man by climbing up those ladders. That, I mean, that there are some arguments to be made that men are less attracted, but um, the focus is that there's going to be fewer men that she's attracted to, that she's interested in because relationships are challenging and because he has to add benefit. And the benefit yeah, that yeah. women look for in relationships is you know, somebody who can contribute and somebody who can help support her offspring. Whether or not yeah. we've passed that, we haven't evolved past that. We're still there and we still have... The, those bases of attraction. I want to be able to afford to impregnate as many different women from different cultures as possible. I'd like to maybe uh, get a GoFundMe account, you know, have a, just different cultures, different women, have them all get along. You think that's possible? Donate sperm. Yeah, well, I'd just rather have the family element, you know, just one big happy family, me just and all my wives harem. and all my yeah, children, and they speak the languages of their brothers and sisters. That's, um, that's, you know, that'd be nice, but uh, it's tall they, they got something for you, man. It's called Sims. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> that, that is, that's an interesting thought experiment and, and all of the different permutations of children that you could potentially have, mm -hmm. all, like, all being a part of the school that you would make <laughs> and, and help. Oh, that's funny. Um, and then maybe even women being able to do that. Oh, I want to have babies from 30 different men. Is that a crazy thing? No, I mean, um, women women appreciate like the the advantages of genetic diversity just as much as men do. As far as from a strategic standpoint, the only um, the only thing that hurts women in that effect is that they have a very long gestation period, yeah. especially relative to other species. Yeah. You know, around nine to ten months, depending on what your ethnicity is. And then the taking care of it as it. Yeah, and then. also just the the consequence of. Um, losing out on the opportunity of um, monogamy with you know men you know if you're if you're not exclusive yourself and you're not going to get access to a guy's resources you know this is all so complicated and so interesting the gender relations mm -hmm. um, okay I'm, this is going to trickle in as we continue talking what is you know the relation of of the genders in the hierarchy meanwhile there is this kind of this this weird uh, way that we've been kind of, in some ways, we were talking about this in the last episode that what's what what what's going on with this indentured servitude thing, oh, systemic indentured yeah. servitude relative to to like the institutionalized like federalist yes, junk. Yeah, yes. Okay, so um, as we implement more. Um, socialist structures, a, a good example being uh, public education. Um, we're taking kids away from their, their parents because, you know, we're already having them pay for it, so they're not going to, you know, cash out, you know, they're, they're not going to abstain from cashing out on that, quote-unquote, free babysitting. But as, you, as we do so, we take mothers away from uh, their children and children away from their families, and they're constantly, you know, we keep them working. And as we keep them working, people keep on falling under the impression that they can't afford to take care of their own kids, that they can't afford to um, have a, a single income household. And it's just not true. It's just not true that we, you know, we can't afford to raise our own kids because a lot of the, um, a lot of the, the jobs that a mother does when she's home, um, people end up outsourcing. You, you know, for instance, you know, we, we make a lot of, we, we, okay, like cleaning products that we have inside of our household back in the day. Women knew how to make a cleaning product just fine, you know, using, you know, vinegar and baking soda and different products. Um, like women knew how to clean. There, there was, women were chemists. They were, they were domestic, like, economists. And they were able to balance all of these tasks as well as educating their children and paying specific attention to the educational needs of their children. And now we're missing out on that. 
and we keep on thinking that we can't afford things because there's this huge inflation in the, the, the price of these different things that we need, like basic cleaning household items, where you know you're paying four, five dollars for something that costs ten cents. Yeah, yeah. The, you, the way you just connected everything was super interesting. Okay, so so our taxpayer dollars are going to the education in 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 our local areas, mm -hmm. and that we want to take advantage of of that. But mm -hmm. at the same time, we need babysitters because that the, the the child can be babysat for eight hours while they're at school while oh, yeah. we work. Anyway, we have to work those hours. Yeah. Why why doesn't public school have the same time as the basic work schedule? Work schedule. It doesn't. Yeah, so it obligates them. Yeah, it's a little off on mm -hmm. that, on both ends. But then, then you also mentioned this interesting point about how you know women being chemists, women being economists, women being mm -hmm. um, to take, paying super close attention to their child's uh, particular needs, particular needs, yeah. and that that that, and when you're there at work, they're not doing that for those mm -hmm. eight hours, right? Or men aren't either, or however you want to paint this picture that mm -hmm. when. When the, that 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 family dynamic of being with a child and helping the child understand who it is and have their um, have have their creative endeavoring really truly explored mm -hmm. um, is harder to do when you kind of push it off to a school system than when you can take on that responsibility yourself. But then, like we're in servitude towards this the, to the machinery of mm -hmm. the economy where we have to go and work in order to make money to pay our rent and to so this is this is kind of the and what's sad is like the the, the syllabus is just uh, this cookie cutter one size fits all and children are missing out on the particular uh, attention that they used to get so you know if if your child has certain gaps and shortcomings you know they're they're not going to be attended to the same way they would have you know if you know you have the homemaker there and taking care of said child and not only that but you know Kids are learning a lot of things that maybe necessarily aren't practical for them. You know, a lot of people are learning math that they never use out in the real world, or and but they're also having to do a lot of math that they never learned in school. So you know, the particular attention, not only relative to that child's needs, but relative to um, the the specific culture and the specific area wherein you live to where you can move your child forward as far as actual, you know, prospects and, um, you know, something that's actually going to be useful, help actually move them towards the career and the skills that they need to survive where they're at, especially relative to their particular needs. What does then the what does the what does affirmative action and this double tax tax double taxation of income have mm. to do with what you were just describing? Okay, so um, unfortunately, um, as men and women are living more and more separate lives, and that a lot of the time they have their own careers and they have separate careers where yeah. a lot of people are spending time with um, you know other people, especially sometimes even people of the opposite sex more than their own spouse. And too often do I hear the term, you know, this is my work husband, this is my work wife. And, you know, it's the sad truth. And I think that probably most infidelities that occur within a marriage often take place at the workplace. Just because, you know, if you end up spending a lot of time with somebody, then that person does become your partner. Um, yeah, well, more time <laughs> with the work husband or work wife than yeah. with your own wife or husband yeah oh yeah and that especially happens uh, for people that are um, lower and you know on the economic cast people you know because they're you know they're working a lot more hours and um, they they tend to be in careers where there's a lot more um, um, like a lot more gender mix-up where like you know there's 50 50 both men and women within those work fields um, and as they, you know, are, are separate from each other, their marriages fall apart. They get divorced, and you know, they seek out their own individual lives, and they live in separate homes. As they live in separate homes, um, the the demand of um, the demand of space, the demand of you know, homes and residences, goes up, but the supply doesn't go up. Mm. So. 
it becomes mm -hmm. less affordable to, you know, to even have a home. And um, so people are working harder and harder and working more hours to try to keep up with that. And as particularly the men, they're creating more and more income. Um, the alimony that's taken out, not only do they get that income tax, uh, do they receive an income tax when they make that income for themselves, but when it goes on to their spouse, there's an income tax on that, and that is paid for. And due to recent legislation, the payer is the one paying the tax both times. So we're paying for two housing properties. We're paying for two sets of everything in the in the house. Mm -hmm. We're paying. This is getting a, this is getting crazy already. And the oh, supply yeah. of the house. And that's the cycle of indentured servitude that we live in, is that people keep on getting tricked into these schemes and pushed into these systems, where um, they keep on thinking life and everything is less and less affordable, just by making these decisions where they're just separate and that's why um, men and women really need to come together again and they need to be more honest they need to communicate with each other and we need to be more honest to women about how to acquire their happiness and how to acquire their goals yeah this <laughs> honest dialogue is extremely important but it's also super complex because how does how does one you know, in an eight billion person society, one mm -hmm. one finds himself wanting to, you know, to, to to be of 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 impact, right? One wants to, whether it be just impacting one person, mm -hmm. you know, that's impact, or impacting the world with some moonshot thinking, right? There's a lot of people want to follow, and uh, so a lot of people are trying to follow into that like moonshot thinking. But in order to actually execute on moonshot ideas, you kind of have to live in the way that. Uh, potentially puts this idea of genetics or procreation or partnership at a, at a, at a secondary point. Mm -hmm. And if you do that, then you're typically not living with the partner. Mm -hmm. Then you're typically living in separate places and only seeing each other maybe once. Well, we need week. to stop incentivizing women to, to abandon uh, their families and break up their homes. Because if you look at the statistics on, you know, who's initiating divorce, it's women like by strides it's it's like it's not even close this is a u.s statistic? yes yes uh women women uh, it just absolutely exploded when no-fault divorce was implemented and um so women are divorcing and leaving their husbands and um trying to take the resources and i think that a that we need to stop financially incentivizing women to break up homes and additionally, we need to uh, protect the rights of men as far as um, their consent to creating their own progeny. Is that um, too often women are having a man's child without his consent, and even when it's agreed upon that you know we're not going to have kids or we're not going to have kids yet, uh, women are doing so anyway. And this is allowing the woman to hold the man financially hostage, and it's. In, in my opinion, it's its own form of sexual abuse against men. Um, and I think that we need to accept the fact that children are the biological property of women. And I think that um, paternity, uh, from a legal standpoint, should only be existent in the case where the man consents to having that child. So some people are a big fan of um, uh, pa uh, uh, paternal surrender, um, some, sometimes it's even called financial abortion, where a man is not responsible for um, a child and he's able to revoke his responsibility. My attitude is that a man should have to consent to that responsibility in the first place. So children should be considered the property of women and the father or whomever is interested in helping in rearing that child should have to consent to it. My biological dad would have been all over that back oh, in yeah. the day. He, yeah, sure, but he would have lost his, uh, he did anyway, you know, he felt that it wasn't a question of uh, need, it was a question of want on behalf of my mom, 
And he, it was just a, what he did was lose his children, no longer carry his last name. So. Yeah. Well, I consider it sexual abuse against men, and it's rampant. Like, how many people do you know who had, you know, at least themselves or one of their siblings that the father did not consent to, particularly the first child? Mm, mm. This is so if women know question. that they're going to be held responsible and that they can't hold a man hostage, I think that women will be more responsible with birth control with birth and control. they'll be more responsible with their mate selection and so on and so forth. Yeah, yeah. The mm -hmm. responsibility with birth control and mate selection, that, that catalyzing, that's interesting. I also think that just based on a straight up like like just on a like an educational level for both of the parties to just know that hey are we trying to have a, a child right now mm -hmm. the answer in being no okay we will do everything possible that is needed to not have a child right mm -hmm. now like this just needs to become more of a common place because then you don't get the oops scenarios that we're even talking about right now well, yeah men men don't have the right to abort their child yes and yes. it would be absurd for us to afford men that right that's that would be absolutely disgusting yeah, yeah. you know what are we going to do tie women to a table so women have the ball in their court it's your body you get to choose whether or not you get pregnant well in most cases um at least to mm -hmm. some extent you know the women are the ones who have the control over that situation so why do women have full control and men can't even opt out of it. They, men, like, men, it men the choice is out. women. Men can opt out by just withdrawing themselves pre-orgasm. Like, it's not that hard, I think. To, like, well, there's, there's, there's tampering birth control. There is that women have more options when it comes to birth control. There's in the case where birth control fails or accidents happen, that women have the... Um, the option yes. of having an abortion, while I don't think that we should run on, you know, you know, if, if you don't want to have a kid, just, you know, have an abortion. Like, you know, some women find that disagreeable, and it's fine for them to find that disagreeable. But if women have the large amount of control in that situation, then we need to at least afford men the control of saying, you know, all right, that's fine. You can, you can have a kid or not have a kid, but I'm not responsible for it unless I decide I am. Kitty, just the fact that, you know, that this is coming for the first time to my entire life, right? And I, mm -hmm. and I sit here with tons of different th thought leaders across industries, mm -hmm. right? We do on the show. And the fact that this is the first time that we're hearing this, and, the, I, and I try and read as many of the edge thinking like outlets as well as possible on the mm -hmm. internet and books and stuff, watching videos. And it's, it's hard to find really hard I think to find people like you that will that are arguing on behalf of a, a man to to, oh, yeah. to be in this position women have more rights than men in this society right now can you tell us well I mean no for for instance um, the legal definition of rape was changed to where it doesn't even cover force to penetrate so if say a woman gets a man intoxicated and straddles him um, and, you know, puts him inside of her, that doesn't meet the legal definition of rape. Rape is only, only encompasses being penetrated. And that was changed somewhat recently by institutionalized feminism, which is one of the large reasons why I oppose it. Yeah, like... Sorry, you look terrified right yeah, now. I didn't mean I, to scare yeah, you. Yeah, well, it's extremely terrifying. Yeah, mm -hmm. it is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but, and, yeah. you know... Um, male genital mutilation is still, you know, very common in this country. It's going down, but um, circumcision, yeah, circumcision, oh, circumcision is entirely okay. unnecessary. We keep on going with, um, you know, men don't, male infants aren't protected. The genitals of female infants are, uh, are protected, but the genitals of male infants aren't protected legally. It's really important to not get circumcised, I think. I think it's I, I absolutely agree. Yeah, I, I, I oppose it adamantly. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. yeah, there's no choice for that child. Whether, yeah, there's, there, I mean, that, yeah, there's, they're not able to make a choice about their own circumcision at that young of an age, obviously. And, and male yeah. suffrage was, yeah. a, you know, was attained by, um, in exchange for the draft. Men fought for their own suffrage, um, you know, in exchange for, for their services and uh, women fought for that right so long as they didn't have the same uh, responsibilities. So there's just so many departments wherein um, 
women have more rights than men. Men are less protected and they're afforded less resources. They pay more, more taxes, they're afforded less resources. I mean, just look at um, uh, the domestic abuse, like shelters, um, and what resources are afforded to women. So much goes to, you know, women houses and there's virtually none in the United States for, for men. They're few and far between. There's some that allow both sexes, but a lot more women. Same with the cancers. A lot more of our tax dollars go to the female cancers and very little of it goes to the male cancers. And how's that fair if men pay more in taxes? Interesting. Whoa. These asymmetries are crazy. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. And why are they, yeah, they're so buried right now under a culture, uh, the culture war. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I guess, I guess when, um, when the ma majority of propaganda is, majority of culture war, let's say, that's happening seems to be coming, um, uh, yeah, in a, in, a, in a way that it, it makes it very difficult to find the signal that you're talking about mm -hmm. right now. Like you just gave us like a bunch of different signal, one after the other, that I pretty much see none of in the culture war, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's why, um, yeah, that's why yeah. we And if you look at like feminist propaganda, they'll, they'll complain like, did you know that one out of seven homeless people are women? Like, you, do you know what the rest of them are? They're men. We're not taking care of men and there's more female shelters than there are male shelters. I mean, of course, there's like the ones that allow both sexes, but constantly, if you look at, you know, basically all the real problems that a person can experience in this lifetime, men generally experience it on a much larger scale and still we always afford more resources to women. Now I think it's okay that we do prioritize the safety and the security of women as long as we're being honest about it. As long as we're being honest that you know, women are important and that's one of the reasons why we've succeeded so well as a species is because women have a large gestation period so it's more important that we protect them and it's more important that you know, they're doing well and they're happy and that will help the success of the human race more when like you know, if you look at it from um, from an EA standpoint as far as being effective um, in like how we afford our resources, yes, we do better as a species and as a society when we afford more resources to women because the well-being of women is more pivotal in the success of our species yes. and society. But we just need to be honest about it. Yeah, yeah. And we need to stop just throwing men under the bus and pretending like they're these predatorial monsters that are just so well off because they're not men are suffering and if we're just honest about it then maybe we can create a stable system where we say okay yes it's more important that we help women in these ways but we also can't let the men drown because yeah. women depend on men yes, yes. and as we let men suffer so do the women suffer so we need to be practical in the way that not only we decidedly help women more than we help men, but understand that helping men will also help women more. Totally, just like helping women will help women more as yes. well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the whole notion, predatorial, well-off monster, that's gotta get the fuck out of our vocabulary. Because, oh, yeah. Because, yeah, that's, that's torturing the sh out of both parties by, by doing that type of stuff. Oh, yeah. Yes, that does exist in a very small edge case, and we are working on making better making that better mm -hmm. um, and as does in the very small edge case I think on the radical um, women's side yeah the problem the, the, the fact that you just said that one out of every seven people that are homeless are women it's like yes mm -hmm. let's make that solve but six out of the seven are men and we have tons right out our oh and by the uh, way I, did, I didn't do here. the legwork on that statistic so even though it, I've heard that yes. statistic before I haven't really mm -hmm. gone through okay. as to whether or not where they got those numbers but you may so. just go yes. walk down the street and take account yourself and figure it out because it's very I think it's extremely evident who the vast majority um, of the people that are on the streets are oh, certainly um, okay um, I think you know, you'll have to come and red pill us some more on, <laughs> on uh, gender relations because these, this is just, you know, all of these all these little pieces of signal that are nowhere, very, very few places on the internet, I think are important. There's a lot to, to unpack, certainly. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. 
You spent five last five years doing geriatric care. Mm -hmm. This is interesting. You were walking with me and talking with me last week about this. You were like, "How cool is it to hear stories from you know seventy years ago?" And then you were saying, "Then they're telling stories about their grandparents, which is another seventy years ago." Mm -hmm. And so I'm like, "Whoa, that's a great way to get knowledge from what is kind of being it's it's it's." It's it's you're doing archaeology through people's you know life stories that is slowly disappearing into the grave and no one's able to capture. It's not like we're able to take their brains and and and, uh, and upload them. Upload not, them. Yet. not yet. <laughs> not yet. Not so yet. No. Teach us about these last you know five years of doing geriatric work. Oh uh, well, um, firstly, I, I haven't exclusively done geriatric work. I do a lot of um, different disability care, people yes. of, of all ages yes, and so yes, on and so right. forth. So I wouldn't say that it's always been five solid years of geriatric care. Yes. Um, and as disability far as, care, yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I would say it's it's been really a rich experience to not just, you know, learn about history from the standpoint the way most people do where they, you know, read textbooks or they go on Wikipedia and so on, is just to like ask somebody, hey, when was the last time you thought to yourself, this Hitler guy's a bad egg? You know, they they were there and they were watching all of this, and it's interesting to ask them like, how terrified were you when you heard about the you know the H bomb? How terrified were, you know? How mystified were you when you saw the man the moon landing? And it's so while we can collect a lot of information from you know reading about these topics, it's nice to have that empathetic moment wherein you get to have somebody paint a picture of what emotionally it's like because you know there are a lot of things that you know were true and existed um, you know before we were born and so you know the, it's not revolutionary to us it's not new it didn't it doesn't blow our mind we're like oh okay well this has been around for 20 years this has been around for 50 years and, and we just accept it but what's interesting is to be able to talk to somebody who was around when those pivots happened and when those experiences happened the same way that, you know, say in the future somebody's going to ask me, you know, what was it like when, you know, there weren't cell phones and if, you know, if you couldn't find somebody or if somebody, you know, was, you're supposed to meet somebody, you just had to communicate really well as to where you're going to meet, what time, and so on yeah. and so forth. And, you know, people, if you wanted to make a phone call, you had to be home. If you wanted to be in touch with people, you had to, you know, see them firsthand. And so the the way that we are going to be able to tell those stories about how the pivots in our lifetime have changed things and how mystified and how odd we've been yeah. by all these pivots, like, it's been very enriching to have that exposure to people, uh, with people who are around other times of innovation yes. and other parts of history where I get to ask, you know, what was it like to witness that? What was it like to, you know, hear this speech to, you know, have that change happen? Yeah, the, the, the way you're describing it is so cool because you're talking about these like inflection moments for people of like being mystified or being in awe or being at fear and, and mm -hmm. really getting some juicy stories of what, that, of what that's like so that you, it's way completely different than reading it on, a, on an article. Mm -hmm. um, and then also working with um, disabilities as well. This is another moment of like getting behind the eyes of, 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 of people that may not have the same privilege, level of privilege as, as we do mm -hmm. um, in full functionality. So this is very important. Um, will you, you know, you referenced it just a moment ago with upload and you were talking about the very beginning with AI. <laughs> take, what, are, tell us about how you're just, you're totally cool with the AI. You're ready for it, robot takeover, like. Oh yeah, I'd, 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 I'd be thrilled if, um, uh, AI were around to, to help us make a lot more decisions. I mean, we're already automating a lot of our choices that we make and, you know, um, like probably the first example of ones that we did was, you know, we have a calculator and that makes the decision for us, like how much do we tip and so on. It, you know, it does the math better than you do. And because of that, it's able to make the choice that you still want to make. You still have your own autonomy in that, but, the automation of like the functionality of the calculator allows you to um, allows it to in a sense assist with that decision and I think that we're going to be able to expand more on that and I'm really looking forward to that being 
implemented into like government policies where we can um, have the the checks and balances and the assurance of you know somebody who doesn't have their own self-interest and can be more selfless and yeah. be more defending of person to person while also um, being more educated and or being a little bit more conscious about like what what the natural progress of things will be or should be. So the so the artificial intelligence entering into industry to the industries and into our lives in ways that are have, we have yet to really even imagine how are going to just significantly benefit our lives. You're just very excited for. Oh for yeah, that. I would love I would love to see those things implemented more and more in time. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Likewise, especially especially biometrics is a very exciting one for me. I just mm -hmm. I want I want I want to know when I'm having. Um, uh, any kind of pathology starting to develop to just tackle it before it gets obviously oh, out, yeah. of, out of control. I would love to see it with like doctors. It's, I mean, yeah. It, yeah, yeah. it's actually in a lot of cases that, you know, um, automation and AI and certain things like that, they're already um, out competing doctors. We're just Correct. not implementing it yet. Correct. Um, yeah, yeah. And yeah. it would be nice to see that happen. Um, I, yeah, I'm looking forward to the The last generation to not die. Oh, oh gosh, yes. Yeah, Let's yeah. not die together. The first, the first generation to not die. The last, <laughs> last generation to, uh, or maybe the last generation to die. We may not be so I fortunate. I dread you know, The last generation to, to lose their parents. To, to lose their parents, yeah, yeah. Oh that's, that's the way to put it, yeah. This has been awesome. Let's ask you a, the couple quick questions. On oh, the, lovely. On, okay, on the way out. Um, first question is, are we alone in the cosmos? Um, I, I think I touched on this a little bit you earlier, did, yes. but um, m my theory is that we are not alone um, and that um, intelligent life meets a threshold where they ascend their biological state and I think that we will make contact and we'll be able to interact with other intelligent life once we ascend our own biology. Yes, yes, mm -hmm. yes. <sighs> You call it ascend. Why, why ascend instead of transcend biology? I, it just suited me. Just suited you. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. I'm just trying to figure out what the Cause best I, cause I, Because I, 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 I think, like, I guess it's a little bit, it's, it's a little bit of a double entendre relative to the question in that uh, the, that ascension is you know us you know going out into the cosmos and meeting the other life. So I, I think that um, ascend just always felt more apropos to me, relative to not just um, what it would accomplish, but where it might take us. Mm -hmm. mm. Just imagine just you know landing over in a couple you know solar systems down and just being like, what's up, guys? They're like, oh, you finally made it, like. Oh yeah, and imagine all the extra like beauty that we're going to be able to see. You know, different colors and sunsets. And oh yeah, all that different stuff. types of species. You know, that's my that's some of my favorite stuff. Different species, yeah, different, yeah, coded life forms, um, yeah, binary stars, triple. Oh yeah, tri triple star and what systems, more yeah. exciting? Different types of physics. Yeah, because we're yeah. we're constrained to the physics of our you know of our own. Um, planet and of our own solar system, but you know there's completely different laws of physics out in you know different parts of the universe and in different universes. Correct. So yeah, yeah. not only yeah. will there you know be other yeah. things, other life and other That's you know aesthetic sure. existences, but the functionality of things will be different. Because yes. isn't yes. it so fun in a video game where the physics are a little screwy yeah, yeah. and you get to do really ballistic things that just you can't do on this planet? Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Those sandboxes where you can change the math, the code as as you play, and mm -hmm. like, yeah, yeah. That's that's simulation, right? That's why we run the simulation in our head of what that's like. <laughs> are we in a simulation? I don't believe that we are, but I think that we should rule under the assumption that we are because I think you make smarter decisions. But tell us why. Well, um, I, I think that. People get too emotional and too attached, and if you if you go under the principle or if you work under the idea that maybe you're in a video game, then you can actually focus on the future and making progress as well as your own happiness. Mm. And I think too often do we let ourselves be held back by you know you know trying to win and different you know 
biological constraints and get tied up in all of these thoughts and these feelings. But if you experience that detachment, I think you're able to make more um, objective decisions. So while I think we're not in a simulation, I think we should render the assumption that we are just if for nothing else, I think it would lead to better choices and happier lives. Interesting. So running that you are a character in a video game mm -hmm. and you want to level up and you want to uh, to not maybe emotionally attach yourself so much to something, but rather keep an open mind and all that type of stuff. It'll help you level up faster. So mm -hmm. maybe it gives you a destiny to look forward to every day when oh, you yeah. potentially. You just get less hooked on on the past. Like I mean, how much how much time do you spend in a video game? Like if you already completed a quest, yeah. you know, going back and being like, oh well, you know, I didn't, you know. I don't really want to do this next quest because, you know, I didn't really do so good on that last quest and now I'm kind of feeling bad. Like, no, just but move forward and have fun. Yeah, move forward. Enjoy the fun. challenges and yeah. enjoy, you know, getting yes, past certain yes. things. And I think that it just, it allows you to have a better attitude on life and be a little bit, uh, make better progress. Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. Stop rewinding old miserable quests. Mm -hmm. Something that I think we do a lot of. Last question, mm. what's the most beautiful thing in the world? Oh gosh, um, I'm, kind of, I'm, I'm kind of a sucker for babies. I'm a little baby crazy and so I just, uh, I, I think you might have even seen at the restaurant there was like a baby over at the other table and all of a sudden I just like locked in. Locked in. Like, like the big neotenous eyes and the cute little Madame Alexander doll lips. I just, mm, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I think, you know, babies and children and just have, I mean, you know, as an adult, you know, Christmas becomes less fun and then all of a sudden a new kid comes in the family, like you get a new niece or nephew and they get older and it's magical to them again and you get to experience that magic. Just adolescence entirely is yeah. just a very beautiful thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Imagine if more of the mimetic sorcerers uh, spent a little bit more time with the babies and children uh, 